It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 244 of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Jill. Hi, Adam. How's it going? Good. How are you? Good. It's finally not a thousand degrees here. It's not. Which I'm excited about. Um, we have sent you guys a bunch of episodes out recently. Uh, Saturday, if you had, didn't have a chance to listen to it, it was our Big Library Read episode, so you can go learn all about the most recent Big Library Read title which actually if you're listening to this on the day it comes out is july 9th that's when big library starts so be sure to check that out and if you didn't listen to last thursday's episode uh the two of us got into a whole bunch of harry potter things that lots of people who listen have had opinions about as well which is fun so go check that out if you hadn't i hadn't already and then today's episode is an interview i did a couple months ago with an author named katie ganchert she writes a lot of uh Christian titles or with some like Christian themes in them. We've had a lot of people who have asked us over the years to bring Christian authors on and we hadn't had a chance to do it before and I was finally able to do it. So Katie's most recent book is called No One Ever Asked, which is actually based on some real life events that happened uh, in some community schools and she gets all into it at the beginning of the interview so I'll let her talk about it but um, yeah, it was really cool. She she and I actually had a lot in common. She's a huge coffee drinker. She loves dark chocolate, all sorts of fun <laughs> stuff. So we actually got along really well. Um, so yeah, it was fun. I think you guys will really enjoy it. And also, I think when people listen, when people hear a Christian author, they either immediately want to read those books or they immediately don't want to mm-hmm. read those books. And so I think this is a cool way to get um, more information on someone that you know. It just like the themes of the book. Right, don't, you know, shouldn't be the immediate reason why you choose to or not read something all every time. So, yeah, I think people will like it. Uh, if people want to get a hold of us, how can they do that? You can visit our website, professionalbooknerds.com, and from there you can get all of our social links, including Twitter and Instagram, at probooknerds. You can email us at professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com. And by the time you hear this, I will have put up a new poll on our website as well. I'm going to ask people what type of nonfiction uh, episode they want to hear. I haven't even told you this yet, but right now is we have a nonfiction sale going on for our library listeners. There's thousands of nonfiction titles available in Marketplace at up to 50% off. So in celebrating that, I figured we should do a nonfiction uh, episode. But frankly, I want you guys to tell us which style you want to hear. So Please do. Yes. Nonfiction is a tricky one because yes, there's so many. Yeah, so we'll do. I'll put up like biography memoir um historical we'll Mm -hmm. put a different true crime all sorts of stuff in there so um anything else you think people should know about i think that's everything okay cool well i hope you guys enjoy this interview with katie ganchert on the professional book nerds podcast
Hi everyone, it's Adam again, and today I am joined by award-winning author Katie Ganchert, who graduated from the University of Wisconsin in Madison with a degree in education. She worked as a fifth grade teacher for a while before staying home to write full-time. She was born and raised in the Midwest, where she lives uh, with her family, and when she's not busy penning novels or spending time with her people, she enjoys drinking lots of coffee with friends, reading great literature, and eating copious amounts of dark chocolate, which means we have all sorts of things in common. Katie, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So we're going to kind of jump all around the, the books you've written and all sorts of fun stuff. But first, because you recently had a new book come out, would you mind giving us a little bit of information about No One Ever Asked? Yeah, no problem. So No One Ever Asked is a story inspired by real events. And it follows the lives of three very different women. And their, their lives are kind of brought together when an impoverished school district loses its accreditation and the affluent community of Crystal Ridge has no choice but to open their school doors. So it's a story that, you know, kind of digs into implicit bias that impacts American society, you know, kind of the invisible fences that keep us separated. And it really explores the question, what does it mean to be human? So, and you mentioned this was inspired by true events. What were the, the true events that this kind of, that created, you know, this story in your mind? Yeah, so the, the true events happened in, um, like, in the St. Louis, Missouri area, and they circled around basically what could be considered a modern-day school integration story, mm-hmm. um, where a school district comprised almost entirely of low-income black and brown students lost its accreditation, and it triggered this Missouri transfer law that allowed these students who were previously, you know, basically locked into these failing schools because of their zip code, the ability to transfer to an accredited school on the failing district's dime. So the failing district had to pay the money to get these kids into the into a, a non-failing district. And so um, the failing district had to choose a district to bus their students to, and they chose an affluent predominantly white neighboring district, and, and the pushback from the community was, was pretty severe. I first came across the story when I was listening to a pretty popular podcast called This American Life. Yes. Yep, and the episode was titled The Problem We All Live With, and it featured um, investigative reporter Nicole Hannah-Jones, and she covers race in the United States, particularly segregation and contemporary American education. So um, it was super gripping. Um, her work is very compelling and also disturbing. So if uh, I, I highly recommend following her on Twitter and, and checking out what she has to say. So, yeah, I, I heard that podcast, and I was like, oh, my goodness. I, I was gripped, and I had to – I just felt compelled to write a story about it. Yeah, no, it's – it blows my mind, and, and I'm sure a lot of people probably don't realize this, or maybe they do with, with the way things have kind of been going on lately in our country. It's like, it's 2018, like, the idea that there absolutely is, you know, segregation in, in the schools, mm-hmm. I think people, that will surprise a lot of people, and it might not be segregation as, you know, like, it was understood 70, 80, 100 years ago, but like you said, students are very much kind of stuck in, you know, they're almost given a station in life because of where they live. Hugely. In fact, as I was doing, you know, um, all the the research for this novel and everything, and what you'll learn very quickly from Nicole Hannah-Jones is that, you know, education is more segregated today. Mm -hmm. This is mind-blowing to me. It's more segregated today for black and brown students than it was in 1968. That is insane. Insane. And, and very, indi- I mean, what an indictment, you know? So, mm-hmm. 
it's yeah, it's pretty crazy. No, it's it's funny you would say that too. On a much much smaller scale, um, where I grew up was a uh, it's a predominantly Puerto Rican community. Um, mm-hmm. It's actually it's one a rare. <laughs> I don't want to say in the north, but I am you know in Cleveland. It's it's a rare situation where my community as as a Caucasian person, I was actually a minority, and you're absolutely right. I lived on one side of a of a main road and I went to a, a private Catholic school, but if I hadn't, there was literally only one public school I was allowed to go to. And if I lived on the other side of the street, it was a completely different public school and that type of stuff. I feel yeah. like there, there has to be a better way to help give these students a, a better chance at, at succeeding. Right. And that's what I wanted, you know, part of the reason of writing the story was just, just bringing that, that whole issue to light. Because like you said, we don't, especially if you're, if you're white and you go to a predominantly white school, but you have like a smattering of, of um, ethnic diversity, but not much. Mm-hmm. I think we just kind of live under this delusion that, oh, we're good, we're, we're, we're integrated, <laughs> you know, and we don't realize that, um, you know, black for a lot of black and brown students they're going to hyper segregated schools mm-hmm. that don't have funding and are they're stuck in these schools and it's it's um an issue that we just kind of have to look at you know and so face. was this the first book that you wrote that was based on on true events yes i have never done that before so um yeah it was the very first one okay so so you mentioned kind of the research process and you talked about you know reading a lot of the investigative journalism that took place and, and, you know, paying attention to this American life, which I, yeah, good job. I, I would, I would, I would do that anyway, but, um, uh, was there other like research that like that you were doing, or I guess maybe even like how much of this story did you want to keep grounded in, in the facts that actually happened and, and how much of it did you sort of let, you know, your, you know, narrative voice as an author kind of, take the reins a little bit yeah you know it's funny you ask that I felt very um I wanted to ground the story in real events as much as possible so even though this was something that technically happened in 2013 you know my story came out in 2018 so it's not like I tried to ground it in that in that year like it's not like I tried to ground it in 2013 Mm -hmm. but I did basically I I um I searched and found every obscure article written about the situation um, the in outside of St. Louis or inside St. Louis um, where it happened. Um, I, you know, put together this pretty comprehensive timeline of events. Um, I actually found a recording. So in the podcast, This American Life, one of the most gripping parts of that particular episode was um, they had these sound bites from a town meeting that was held in one of the affluent districts, um, Oh, high school gymnasium yeah and so they had these sound bites from these parents who were just they were so disturbing and so i actually found a recording of the entire town meeting and was able to listen to i mean god bless the internet i don't know how i would have done this research <laughs> before but i was able to listen you know to the whole recording in its entirety um you know i didn't quote anyone directly from the town meeting but i did convey the general tone and concerns these parents had mm-hmm. um so yeah you know um it, it lent itself to a, I, I had a lot of material to work with so i did of course and then you do take some some fictional liberties but for the most part i try to stay true to the the situation that happened in um in st louis did the did the writing process feel any different for you? Why, you know, 
as a you know this this book as opposed to sort of conjuring up a world more or less uh, in your yeah. mind? Like, did the actual writing process feel a little bit unique for this book? It felt unique and surprisingly easier, just because really? I think I had that framework mm-hmm. to already work with, and so um, I knew the situation I was setting the story in, and so I was able, you know, the three. But my three main characters are three very different women, and, and they all have a different um, outlook on the situation, very different outlooks, all three of them. And so, obviously, they're very, they're very fictionalized and make-believe women placed in this, this real situation. So, um, but I, I enjoyed kind of having the framework to work with. It, it was less that I just had to make up from scratch, I guess. <laughs> and in preparing for this, to write this story, did you find yourself drawn to other books that might deal with these types of issues? The, the first thing that jumps to my mind is um, Small Great Things by Jodi Pico, which is this novel all about... Um, yeah, I read that one. Okay, yeah. yeah. That, so th- yeah, did, did, did you do anything like that when you were getting ready for this? Well, actually, I didn't know. So that, I, I'd only read one Jodi Pico book, mm-hmm. uh, the, like um, one of her books. A while ago, and um, when I was working on this one, I was talking to a friend about it, and she's like, "Oh, you need to read Jody because her latest mm-hmm. Small Great Things." And so, I, yeah, I listened to that one, and um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's uh, she's a phenomenal writer. She's yeah. able, you know, so yeah, very entertaining. But I did read a lot of um, not so much fiction. Well, unless you, The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas. Yeah. Have you read that one? Yes. Yeah, that's phenomenal. Um, I I read a lot of memoirs, mm-hmm. so a lot of memoirs written written predominantly by Black women, um, because one of my characters is is Black, is an African American woman, and I'm not, and so um, I felt very nervous about stepping into that into that into those shoes to write. Her name is Anaya to write her character, but really um, the story called for her point of view. So it, it's written from three points of view. One is um, Camille Gray, she's predominantly, um, well, not predominantly, she's a white woman, but she, um, she's not predominantly white, she's white, and, but she's, she's from the affluent district, she's the PTA mom, you know, the quintessential, um, looks like she has it all together, but has some things going on in her home life, um, and then Jen Covington is a white woman, but she has, uh, she's a transracial family, because they have adopted a black girl, and then Anaya Jones is my African-American character, so, um, yeah, so they all have very unique perspectives in the story. I'm really glad you brought that up because that's that's something that I wrestle with as someone who is kind of like an aspiring writer myself. Like I, I, there's nothing I can do about the fact that I was born a white male. Like I, I understand that when it comes to if you want to like look at it as like gene pool lottery, like I, right. I I hit the jackpot. I understand that, but I want to have characters in the stories that I'm writing that don't look and sound like me because frankly I don't even want to read 300 pages of me and I assume <laughs> no one else will so when you're you know putting these characters who like, like you mentioned having an African American woman who obviously isn't you into these books like you know it, it's clear the way that you said it that you took a lot of care into those characters but when you were writing from that perspective like did you use like sensitivity readers or I guess like yes. how did you make sure that you were you weren't doing a disservice to people who, like you said, admittedly aren't aren't you. Right. Yeah. Highly recommend sensitivity readers. So obviously did a lot of research um, on the front end by reading books and articles and talking to real life people. Like imagine that. <laughs> and then um, yeah. And then after I finished the the 
the draft. Well, not the rough draft. I don't let anyone read my rough draft. They're, like, so bad. <laughs> but after I finished what could be handed into my editor at my publishing house, um, they were great. At, we had at least, I think, four um, women of color who read the book as mm-hmm. sensitivity readers, and uh, it was invaluable. And I, I liked having four because, you know, ob- I'm going to say the most obvious thing right now, like being black is not a monolithic experience. So yeah. everyone has a different, you know, experience with that, but there are commonalities. So I think when you have like more than one sensitivity reader, mm-hmm. you're able to kind of tease that apart. You know, like it, when my character Anaya, it might not relate to one of my sensitivity readers, but as long as it wasn't like outside the realm of all of them, right, then we're, we're kind of good. And, and, and then they, they, they helped you know, with stereotypes, avoiding stereotypes, all that stuff. So yeah. I highly recommend sensitivity readers. Yeah, that the way you just put that is perfect because there's it's one thing to try to write a diverse cast of characters and end up writing a diverse cast of stereotypes. Oh, big time, yeah. And, and then you're even worse off than anything. Yeah, that, that's going to be a sticky situation. I'm glad you said that. Yeah. I was just, I was curious. I, I kind of assumed as much, but that's, you know, I, I, I imagine the apprehension going into writing a book like this so yeah. i'm glad you did that <laughs> there was a lot there was a lot <laughs> um so in addition to you know your you you write both contemporary christian fiction and you, you also write for a YA audience from time to time so do you have a preference between the two um probably whichever one i'm not currently writing so. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I mean, I, I, um, I really honestly like writing both. I think the reason I started writing the YA was, was totally a creative outlet. So, um, you know, this funny thing happens when you become a contracted author, right? It's, it's this dream you have for so long, and then it comes true, and it's amazing, but it also really turns into just hard work. Like, <laughs> and so um, when I wrote The Gifting Trilogy, which is my, my young adult um, work, it, it really felt like playtime because it wasn't contracted. It wasn't anything I had to do. Mm-hmm. It was so different than anything else I'd written. Um, and even when I was writing it, I had no plans to actually do anything with it. Mm-hmm. I was totally just writing writing it for me and for fun. So it wasn't until I finished and I thought, hey, this isn't too bad. And I kind of started putting it out there to some friends and stuff, and they all really liked it, so I decided to put it out there. So, um, you know, I, I really like writing both, um, and they're they're very different. One feels more like play. One feels maybe more like work, but I wouldn't give up either. Well, and, and you mentioned that they, they're very different. Your, your publishing experience is different between the two of them as well, right? Yeah. Yeah, I um, so my my contemporary uh, fiction is traditionally published mm-hmm. with uh, Waterbrook Press, which is a which is like the Christian imprint of Penguin Random House. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my YA is independently published, which means basically I I put it out there. Um, and you know they're it's they're very two different things because one you have a deadline, you have um, you know when I'm working with a publisher, I have to get it in at you know a certain time, and then I'm working with editors and I'm working with. You know they're they're putting up the cover, they're putting marketing dollars behind it, but and I, you get paid up front, so all that's great. But there's <laughs> a lot more pressure too, mm-hmm. I would say. Um, with independently published, you know, there's there's great benefits to that too. You you're putting all the work in as far as getting a cover designer and hiring an editor, so you're putting money up front. Mm-hmm. 
but you don't have to split that money on the back end and um, you have more control over the process and stuff. So I, I've, I enjoy, I've enjoyed both. They're very different, though. I just want to point out to people. So when you say that you wrote a young adult trilogy, like not only did you write this, I, did you write the whole trilogy at the same time? Because they all came out within like a month of each other. Uh, yeah, I wrote, um, I totally, well, not the same time. So like, I I knew with that trilogy that I was not going to put the first book out until I had finished writing the third one. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I finished writing the third one, and that's when I put the first one out. So that allowed me to, to release them very quickly, like a month apart, I think, is when I put them out. <laughs> yeah, that's what it looked like. So yeah. would, would you consider yourself, I, it seems like from you know, reading your bio and looking at all the books you published, like, would you consider yourself kind of a, a, a fast writer? Because it seems like having, you know, writing a, a trilogy of YA books, like you can say that you did it over time, but it seems like that all happened relatively quickly. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I used to be. I don't know what happened. I feel like the slowest writer anymore. I, I, it's, I think it just depends on the season of life. You know, right now, uh, my youngest is still home. She's in preschool only part-time for a few hours in the afternoon. And, um, you know, she's got some special needs and stuff, so her life is very consumed with therapies and things like that. So um, I just don't have as much energy for writing. When I wrote those, um, you know, the Gifting Trilogy, I just had one kid. He was in school full-time. So I had a lot more time to write. Yeah. And and I also, with the Gifting Trilogy, I dictated. So I would go on walks and just talk the book into a Ooh. recorder. And that made my writing go way faster. So That is, I have, you might be the first person who has ever told us they've done that. I like really? that a lot. Yeah. Yeah, I probably look like the crazy person because I'm walking through the neighborhoods, like, talking really fast into a recorder, but... You know what? You can say that, but as I'm a, um, I'm a distance runner, and I feel like all of my best ideas come when I'm running, and then yeah. I'm, like, frantically trying to put notes into my phone as opposed... I should just be leaving myself <laughs> voice notes. Yeah, you should. You uh, totally should. Put in some earbuds with, like, a Bluetooth and yeah. talk away. Oh, my God. <laughs> this, this You have... opened my eyes to something this is amazing (laughs) you you, uh you write under different names as well correct yes well i mean nothing super secretive so my contemporary is under my actual name which is katie ganter and then my ya is under Mm ke ganter only because e is my middle initial and and really i just did that to kind of clue readers in that my ya when that was coming out that it was going to be quite different than what i'd written before i think that's a, a really smart idea especially for like in a world for us like at overdrive you know we work with libraries and we do all of our all of our books are digital and so if someone goes to search for your books on a library's website like i think it's nice to be able to kind of parse them out separately where like they know yeah. like, okay these are you know these are ya books or like this is a book for you know this is more adult contemporary i think that's i mean if you're going to write different genres i think that's probably a good way to do it yeah, you don't want to make anyone mad. Like, oh, I've read the Kissing Trilogy, and then I think all of her work is going to be like that, and it's like, not that at all. So <laughs> so I wanted to get your opinion on something, because I feel like there's there's adult Christian contemporary books that are very, very popular, and then obviously young adult as a genre is wildly popular as well, but I feel like YA Christian books don't get discussed as much, and it seems to me like that'd be a natural starting place for people who come to enjoy reading Christian contemporary fiction as adults. But why do you think that those those books for teens don't get as discussed as much? You know, I wish I had an answer for that. I, but you're totally right. They don't. And I don't, 
you know, I don't know exactly. I think there are some big um, Christian fiction names, but, like, I still feel like as a genre in general, it's a lot more um, niche and smaller than, you know, the New York Times bestsellers, the big ones that are out there. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if it's just that. Do you know what I mean? Like, you have, I don't know if you've heard, like, Karen Kingsbury, Francis Nervous. Those are probably, like, two of the biggest Christian fiction names Mm -hmm. out there. Um, So you have those, but but I wouldn't say they're as well-known even as, as you know like your john grisham's and your yeah you know those people so um so it could just be that i you know what's even interesting though is i wouldn't even consider like my gifting trilogy to be christian fiction right like it's certainly i'm a christian and mm-hmm. so it's written from a that worldview because i don't know how i could write outside of that worldview sure. but there isn't any sort of spiritual arc that the characters go through or faith issue that they struggle with so I mean, I know why a Christian fiction books they're out there. I mean, you've got like Melanie Dickerson, Jenny B. Jones wrote wrote some. Lisa Bergeron's was pretty popular. She um, wrote the Waterfall series. Mm-hmm. Ted Decker, do you know Ted Decker? Have you uh, the, heard of him? I know the name. Yeah, he he is an out there writer. <laughs> of I mean, he his work. You should check out his work. But his daughter has a series out there. Um, Nadine Brands, Mary Weber. Um, her, as, although Mary Mary would say that hers aren't actually Christian fiction either. She's a Christian who writes YA. Mm-hmm. Um, but they just aren't, like you said, they aren't crazy big sellers like The Hate You Give or Everything Everything mm-hmm. or basically any book by John Green. Um, <laughs> and it has to be just, I don't know if it's just the teen years, you're, I don't know if it's, it's just they're they're not so much. I think they're exploring more mm-hmm. in general. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and so they want books that help them explore all kinds of things or something. But um, yeah, I don't know. I haven't figured that one out either. That might, I that's actually that might be a really. I, I think what you just said is right on. Like they're, they're they're very much exploring, and I think it's the same reason why like young adult books, they deal so much with emotions of like falling in love for the first time and going yeah. all this it's because as a teenager like you're trying to figure out who you are and you feel so much and um mm-hmm. i think i think you might be onto something i like that a lot um so you you mentioned several authors just there but i'm gonna make you mention a few more because <laughs> kind of the road to becoming an author is very much littered with with the books that inspired you so when when you were younger what were some of the books that you loved reading that kind of made made you fall in love with literature Oh, man. So my all-time favorite as a kid was The Phantom Tollbooth by Norton Juster. So good. Oh, my word. It, so it was the first book I remember just totally captivating me. And what's so cool about that one is, is it captures you as a kid because it totally just appeals to the imagination. But then when you read it as an adult, it, like, takes on this whole new dimension because there's so much wordplay <laughs> that just went right over my head when I was, you know, fourth or fifth grade uh-huh. or whenever I read that book. Um and, yeah, so, actually, when I taught, I taught fifth grade for several years, and, um, like you had mentioned before, and um, I totally, I always read that mm-hmm. out loud to my students when I was teaching. Um, randomly, in high school, I read, like, a lot of Mary Higgins Clark, mm-hmm. <laughs> so many books, um, and then super random, there's one book, I don't even know why, but it did inspire me, like, after I read this book, I started writing a lot, mm-hmm. like writing stories that were a lot like this book. <laughs> it's called The Face on the Milk Carton. Do you know that, that one? That feels so familiar. I feel like I can see the cover of it. Yeah. 
I don't know what it was about the book, but it totally captivated me, and I totally started writing, like, knockoff stories <laughs> that were like that. So, um, but yeah, I mean, like, Beverly clearly, Judy Bloom. I loved Judy Bloom as a kid, so all those books were, like, have a lot of nostalgia attached to them. I love the idea of you writing Face on a Milk Carton, basically <laughs> fan fiction. Like, that's it was, incredible. That's totally what it was, like... <laughs> Uh, I might have been the only one doing that ever, but, you know. Oh, that's so amazing. All right, so now that you're an adult, how do you read? Like, are you a, a nighttime reader? Are you an audiobook person? Like, when when you get a chance to read, how do you read? I'm a total audiobook listener. So I have, you know, the Audible app on my phone, mm-hmm. and I just download. I am a subscriber to Audible, and so I just pop in my earbuds. I listen when I'm in the car or if I'm working out or cleaning or folding laundry. Um and usually the books I listen to are fiction. Mm-hmm. And when I do, like, a nonfiction book, I try to read, like, have an app. I like to have not just a book, but an, a physical book. I don't even like reading. I'm not an e-book reader. I don't read on my phone. I don't have an e-book device. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and those I will read before bed, although I do wish I was more consistent with that. Because <laughs> I do enjoy nonfiction. I just don't read it as much. Um, what uh, has there been? Because I'm also a massive audiobook person, like I said, as a as a runner, and I also have two very active dogs, so I always have headphones <laughs> in. Um, what uh, have there been any, any audiobooks that have really jumped out at you over the last couple months? Well, well, the last couple months, I, I always listen to like I love Leanne Moriarty; is one of my favorite mm-hmm. all time authors, and she. What's great about hers is all of her narrators are Australian. Yes, so. <laughs> I like their accent. Um, I haven't listened to these in the last couple months, but when I listen to the Harry Potter series they're so with my good. son, oh my goodness, Jim Dale is a genius. Like a, a, they're so good. So those probably are my all-time favorite. It's it's funny you mention that. So my uh, my mother was a, a teacher for forty years before she retired. Uh, she taught third and fourth grade, and. Um, for many of those years, you know, you mentioned reading the Phantom Tollbooth to your fifth graders. She would read the first Harry Potter book mm-hmm. to her kids um, every single year, and it's yeah. it's been one of our family our our family kind of touch points as well as Harry Potter. And I, I actually go back and I listen to the audiobooks at least once a year because I also am obsessed with those. They're so good. Yeah. They are. He's he's so good. So I've actually looked for more like books just narrated by Jim Dale, just yeah. so I can listen to him read the book. <laughs> That's honestly narrators make books so wonderful. Um I actually just got done re-listening to The Golden Compass. Oh, I've never done. I've never read that one. Oh, so if you get the audiobook, Phil Pullman does the narrator's voice, but okay. all of the all of the different characters are done by actual actors. Oh man. And so it doesn't even sound like they're reading the book, like it sounds like they're reading lines and it is just spectacular. I highly recommend those as well. I'll have to get that one for sure. Um, another one, have you heard of Where'd You Go, Bernadette? Yeah. The the audio is so awesome on that one. It's the actress. I don't know if you'll. This might be out of your wheelhouse, but Gilmore Girls, the show. Um, Gilmore I, Girls. I am married to a massive Gilmore Girls there fan. There you go. Okay, so your wife will know the. So, um, the Luke, the guy, his sister is the one who reads this book. Mm-hmm. Where'd you go, Bernadette? And it's so good. It's like she does such a good job of bringing that book to life. Nice. They do. Narrators can make a book like 
so good. Oh, absolutely. So, okay, mm-hmm. towards the end of our podcast, we like to ask nine questions that we call the Nerd Nine. They're very lighthearted. They're supposed to be rapid fire. Um, our listeners started complaining to us because they never were, so they told us to stop calling them that. <laughs> um, but the first one is, what's the last book you finished reading? Um, Little Broken Things by Nicole Bart. Do you have a favorite place to read? In my sunroom. You kind of already answered this one, but what's the book that made you fall in love with reading? The Phantom Tilbury yep. by Norton Jester. <laughs> uh, what's one place that you'd like to travel that you have not yet been to? Oh, man, everywhere. I've never been anywhere to Europe, and I'd like to go everywhere in Europe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you have a favorite holiday to celebrate? Um... This sounds weird, but Thanksgiving, because it's so chill. We oh, go to my, yeah. my husband's place in Wisconsin, and it's just we just sit around and eat food and talk. It's great. Yeah, you don't have to worry about any presents or anything like that. Yeah. It's good stuff. Um, are you a coffee person or a tea person? Coffee. Cats or dogs? Dogs. Do you have a favorite food? Ice cream. And then if you could have dinner with one person, alive or dead, who would you pick? Oh, man. I would really like to have dinner with Beth Moore. Oh, that's a really good one. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, last question for you, Katie. What do you hope readers take away from reading your books? Well, this last one, I really hope they take empathy away and just a, a broader sense of understanding what, what people go through. That is perfect. Katie, thank you so much for joining us today. This was a blast. Thank you for having me. It was great. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can add these titles to their collections and marketplace. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Supply.